21CL Radio. You're listening to the Run Your Life podcast with host Andy Vassar. Hello, everybody. I want to take this opportunity to thank all of you for tuning into my Run Your Life podcast. Today's episode is a special one because my friend Christina Politeko, a physical education and health teacher from Australia, is on my show to share her journey. To me, Christina embodies what it means to be passionate about educating young people about the values and rewards that living a physically active life can bring to our lives. She has truly devoted herself to our profession and has presented and shared her vision with many other educators around the world, both online and in person at conferences. Um, where she has shared her work. What makes today's episode a special one is that Christina shares her deeply personal story with us. And I know for a fact it was not easy for her to share this story. Fear of judgment, shame, guilt, and regret can often hold us back from sharing our authentic selves with others. However, critical self-reflection is essential to move forward in our lives because it often holds the key to determining the next steps needed to stay true to ourselves and to learn from our mistakes. When we are willing to put ourselves out there on the razor's edge, there is so much that we can learn that ultimately has a trickle-down impact on the young people who we teach on a daily basis. I've always believed in the depths of my heart that teaching is a very personal endeavor that requires us to look deeply within in order to be our best. And for us to be our best, we need to confront specific obstacles that stand in our way from pursuing excellence. Christina shares her struggle with addiction and the impact that this disease has had on her life and the negative impact that it has had on the relationships in her life. For those listening to this episode who have fought addiction firsthand or have had loved ones struggle within its grip, you will know and understand Christina's fight and desire to overcome it. I truly commend Christina for sharing her story with us. It's a brave and courageous move that will allow her to continue to move forward, making a difference in our profession. Without further ado, my episode with Christina Politeko. Hey, Christina, thanks for being on the show and for taking the time out on your weekend to uh, spend a little bit of time with me uh, recording a podcast. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me, and I, I really appreciate this. So I look forward to um, talking to you and talking to the rest of the um, the listeners, and hopefully they can get something out of this one. Yeah, so it is kind of a special episode. You and I, just to give the listeners some backstory, you and I have been connected. I first met you at Monash University in, I think, uh, November, late November 2015, when I was there for the Atchburg Conference. 15, yeah. So it's it's been yeah, yeah that's right yeah so it's been a few years and, and we've stayed connected on social media uh, I met you in person again at the Connected PE conference this past um, October in uh, Dubai um, but I guess we'll, we can just start right into things with um, just give people a glimpse you know you're you're a physical educator a lot of people know your work um, you have been sharing more and more of yourself and your work uh, on Twitter and with your blog and, and in presentations and workshops that you deliver. But um, what are a few things, um, you know, just a glimpse into your past, your love of sport and movement. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about that? Okay. Yeah. Sorry. You just a little bit of cutting out, but I got the, I got the question. Um, yeah. So I, I've always been a lover of sport and um, being around with different people. I've never just loved playing that one 
particular sport, but I've been involved with um, uh, Aussie rules football, whether it be playing, coaching, um, powerlifting. I did a lot of state and national competitions. Uh, um, I did a lot of a bit of indoor soccer as well, um, athletics. Uh, yeah, so I, I love to just try things and, and see what I love. But then I, not that I get bored of it, I thought, oh, I've got to go and do something new um, and, and test myself out and challenge myself and see if I like this and how can it challenge me physically and mentally, emotionally. So, um, and that's been through, you know, through primary school, through high school, where I, I played in almost every um, sports team in high school, um, including in softball. I don't rate myself very highly at all, but again, I, I had a crack because I, I was intrigued by that sport and I wanted to be part of that um, team feeling. Um, Jorge and Justin on Vox Podcast about my uh, memories in high school and how that was a bit uh, um, a bit tormenting for me and how, I guess, the sporting teams in school um, gave me that um, feel of, uh, of being a part of something and being able to release my emotions. So, um, yeah, I really heavily relied on sport to just to enjoy life. Um, and, you know, still to this day I'm very active, um, I've got to go for runs, whether it be three, four, five times a day. If I don't have a run, um, say, two or three days, I get a bit cranky. So it's just that release of energy as well. Yeah, and that's um, a lot of physical educators have similar um, stories in regards to um, finding, you know, finding a love of sport and movement and this is what leads them to coaching or had, had led them to coaching, which ultimately ended that uh, ended up with them pursuing a career as a physical education and health uh, teacher. So you kind of fall into that, um, you fall into that pattern as well, you know, becoming a PE teacher. Um, so how long have you been teaching PE now? Um, so this is, I'm going into my ninth, year of teaching uh so and i've been just teaching um physical education so if someone threw me into a classroom i'd be uh oh god what do i do now so um but that that's my passion and that's what i love so that's what i see myself doing for the next 10 15 20 years or however long i'm, I'm in the profession so um that's what i love and each year i think i get better and better and better and each day i get better and better and better because I feel that's been my calling um, in life is to to go out and send, spread the message across to my students, spread my message across and my vision across to other people, not just educators but coaches, everyday people. My, um, I guess my philosophy in teaching is to ensure that every student has equal opportunities because we're all different. We all learn differently. We all face different challenges every day, but we all deserve the equal opportunity. Right. Christine, I just lost you that last part, so I'm gonna. I'm just going to – chop that last uh, 10 seconds out. Um, all right, can you hear me? Yeah, sure. Oh, okay. So, um, yes. yeah, and, and I guess through you and I connecting, um, you know, you, you listened to my um, opening keynote speech at Connected PE in Dubai in October, and, and um, we had a few words after the conference, and uh, I kind of shared with you my belief that everybody has their own story, you know, and I think the very best educators are the ones who, who have kind of learned through trial and error, have learned through hardship and adversity, and they haven't fought that hardship and adversity, but they've actually learned from it. So you reached out to me um, a few weeks ago, and you shared a very personal story with, with me. And I asked you to be on my podcast to share that story, and I know that it's going to take a lot of courage for you to share that story, but there's a lot of purpose behind why you're sharing the story. So I, I'm really honored that you would use uh, my platform, my podcast, to be able to share your story. So why don't you just um, tell us more about your story and, and what you want to share today? Yeah, thanks, Andy. And I guess I sort of started to begin to share my story um, on the Boxer podcast where I was speaking to Jorge and Justin about my dark days in uni, my dark days at high school, my first year of teaching, but I never got into detail. And after that podcast, I really thought, you know what, maybe it would be a good thing for me to help with my recovery um, and to help others. And, and hence why I contacted you, Andy, because your story connected with me in many 
ways. And I thought, this is it. I've, I've got to, I've got to share. I've got to help others. I've got to help myself. So, um, yeah, so I'm currently fighting an addiction and that addiction will stay with me to the day I die. Um, but first I do apologize to listeners if I sound a bit ready. I am pretty nervous, but, um, so I'm going to share you my story on how I hit rock bottom and how I implemented strategies and how teaching and, and various people who have, I guess, have given me another second chance in, in what I do love and also in life. So in August, back in 2010, I, I was arrested for making a false statement to the police. And I'm going to share, I'm going to take you back 10 years before that 2010 and, sh- and share with you why, how, and how to recover, and how did I hit rock bottom? So I have an addiction to gambling, a very heavy addiction, which I still fight every single day. And I live with the motto, my life is day by day, because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But I know today I haven't gambled, and that's a win for me. So when I was about 19, 20, I, I didn't know anything about gambling. Um, I was mainly the, the pokies, so the slots machines, and I once went into a venue with my friends. We had a few drinks, had a few laughs, and then we started playing the machines. And I had no idea what they were. Couldn't tell you what I was doing. But I won a lot of money. And I thought, God, this is so easy to do. How easy is this to earn some money? Um, so I have a very addictive personality. Um, so as the days, the months went on, I, 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 go, I used to go regularly. So it would be once, twice a week just to go. Um, I wasn't hooked on just yet, but the more money I won, the, the, the more I saw this is really easy. Hey, and they got me. Christina, can I? The machines got me. This. Can I ask you? I'm just going to. Yep. I just want to kind of capture yeah, sure. that. So, kind of in, in looking at, um, you know, the real journey for you beginning in 2010 when you hit rock bottom, as you said, you were arrested by the police um, for filling out a false statement, yes. um, and then backtracking from there, you had you had fought this gambling addiction that started off relatively innocently with friends, and and having won some money the first time you went, you saw some lure to it, and in those first few months after that, was it just a slow kind of um, just an just an interest, a passing interest, or did it? Did it hit you straight away that this was something that you really wanted to do? Uh, at the start, it was more of an interest because I, I, I learned very quickly how you can get paid from by just pl- by pressing a, sh- a button. And so it was an interest for me because I was um, at uni, wasn't earning very much money. So um, at the start, it was about the money. So I needed the money just to survive and, and just to have, you know, for socialising and, and so, so on. Um, but it got worse it got worse it got worse it got worse so I'd say probably second year of uni and my my dad he, he's um, a recovering alcoholic as well and he's doing really well at the moment so I, I give him a lot of credit second year of uni um, is when the dark days really started I would go every day and I had placements at a school I would sit in the car at a venue 8 a.m waiting for the doors to open where I knew I had to be at school at 8.30. And I thought, I'll just go for 15 minutes. No worries. An hour passed. I had to call that school and say my car's broken down. I, I don't know how many times I did that, how many times I lied, and it was so easy to lie to the people that were trying to help me or the people that were trying to give me an opportunity in a career way. So it became a, a daily routine for me. Whether it was at night, it was a morning, it was an afternoon, I had to go and gamble because that is something that I needed to do. It was an, it was a craving. Yeah, and, and and I was missing that craving if I didn't get to go. Yeah, and again, because and and I don't mean to interrupt you here, but I do have a lot of questions no, because all good. because I you know as you know from my story, I, that's fine. I, yeah, as you know from my story, I come from a very addictive background and. Um, a lot of mental illness in my family. So, so the first thing I want to say to people listening is that addiction is addiction. And my brother had a heroin addiction. 
um, a very serious heroin addiction that he did not even um, he didn't even touch drugs till his late twenties, and then he just fell hard for cocaine and heroin. Um, I, you know, in, in growing up, I was always exposed to drugs, and um, my brothers had 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 tinkered with drugs and had tried drugs, so I was always around drugs. Um, but one of the things I want to emphasize is whether it's an eating disorder, a gambling addiction, um, a drug addiction, uh, a shopping addiction, um, you know, whatever it is, addiction is addiction and it's ravaging, uh, ravaging to the body and mind. So the fact that you had a gambling addiction is, is just as bad as somebody who had a heroin addiction because it overtakes the mind and body. And I think in what you're describing, you kind of got to that place in your second year of gambling. So I just wanted to kind of share that just to give people a background yeah. into addiction in general. So please continue. Yeah, no, no, you're spot on. And I believe everyone suffers from some form of addiction, whether it be um, their own sporting uh, background, whether it be running, whether it be, like you said, shopping, everyone suffers their addiction, but everyone goes about it very differently. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I had uni for four years, and I, like I've said in many podcasts, I don't know how I survived uni. I don't know how I passed uni because there were many days I would skip class just to that hit you know, like a, 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 a drug addict who needs that bit of a hit, I needed a hit. And each time I walk into that venue, it was like no one was on me and I felt safe. As, sound, as silly as it might sound, I felt safe. But when I walked out, to, out the doors into my car, I felt sick. I felt empty and I thought, no, nah, I'm not going to do this again. I'm going I'm to give it up. I quit. But again... I had a sleep. The next day I woke up, we start again. And that kept repeating and repeating and repeating for a good four years. I lied, I lied, I lied every single day. I was living a double life. And, and, and then oh, I, um, yeah. It, and I just wanted to um, say it yeah. again, and with, with yeah. addiction, yeah. many, many people do live a double life and, um, you know, in my, in my brother's case, I, I found syringes all the time. I confronted him. He lied about it. He said it was for his friend. I would follow my brother. I would follow him to his drug dealer's house. I would catch him on the way out and I'd want to beat the shit out of him in the bushes, you know, and say, what the fuck are yeah. do you, why do you keep doing this to yourself? You're, you're killing your family. You're killing yourself. And yet he would always yep. convince me that he was going to stop. And this is, this is addiction, very serious addiction that I know you understand. So, um, and the other thing I want to say to yeah. you is that you got through uni. So there was something within yourself. So I want to just take a little time out pause here to recognize, yes. recognize something within yourself because to go through university, living this serious addiction, dealing with this serious addiction, yet somehow digging deep enough to be able to get through university, there was something within yourself that kept you going in that, in that sense. So in looking yeah. at you being able to get through university, even though you struggled, what is the positive that you can see within yourself don't, during those years of, of uh, heavy addiction, still having the, the motivation, I guess, and the drive and um, the skills to get through uni? So what allowed you to to get through university? I think I, I'm a very determined person. So I knew I wanted to be a teacher. Um, so I knew that I had to pass this course. So I was very determined. Um, I would, I would still do my work, but I just never really attended those classes or I just skipped and I would ask someone else, can I have your notes? And I would do it. So I knew I want what I wanted. So when I want something, I'll go and get it. So I think that determination um, really helped me because otherwise I would have just gone, you know, I can't do this more. I'm going to give up and I'll do something else. But I, and I guess it was just making my parents proud as well that I have a, a uni university degree. Um, that I, I'm, I'm proud that I was able to do it after, um, you know, not getting no, not getting to uni after year twelve because of low marks. So Andy, I think it was just that determination bit that I knew, um, despite 
my get my addiction, there was still a side of me that wanting to finish this course um, and not and not not fail in a way. Yeah, and and was part of that um, part of that looking as though the university path was going to heal you from the addiction, or that it was a way out for you? Did you ever look at it like that? I just found that university was a, a, a way of um, continuing my addiction because I never got caught. And that, that's why I kept going for years and years. I never got caught. I got questioned. But I was able to somehow juggle two major things in my life at that time. And, and that's by passing uni. Um, and then and most importantly for me at that time was the um, – the addiction side of things, going to gamble. So uni was a, an escape for me to do, go and do something, uh, you know, go to the Tokies and, yeah, so I guess it gets a bit more, you know, serious as we finish uni. But, um, look, I'm, I'm very grateful that I did, yeah, but that's my determination of, of wanting something. Yeah. So, um, so I guess just pick up from where you left off. And I just wanted to recognize that point because, Again, for people going through addictions, they they have to scan their life for the the times of strength. And sometimes in living parallel lives and still being able to work or play sport yet have an addiction, sometimes it's the, the positive when you scan for the positive and you scan for the strength within yourself that um, allows you to to keep going in a way. So I guess pick up where you left off with um, yeah. second year of uh, uni and, and how things were getting worse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so things were definitely getting worse. I was um, craving that addiction every day. There will be times where I went two or three times a day. I would try and find money anywhere I could, whether it be in a money box, silver coins, gold coins, notes, you name it. Um, I'd go sell things just to have some cash in my hand and so and should away I'd go and it'd be gone in 20 minutes half an hour and then I'd be just like oh shit what do I go now who can ask for money you know maybe I'll ask mum for money because I need to have a back massage which is all bullshit because I went to the pokies so I was getting very desperate because it was like I said before it's, it's the cravings the hit I needed a hit um so yeah like I said that that was just a daily routine it kept going on and on and on so um I I finished uni and uh, it was a really proud moment. Actually, it was a proud moment for my mum and dad. And um, I guess before that, I should say, mum and dad did, did um, um, confront me. You know, do you have a problem? And I said, no, I'm fine. Um, I, I don't know how many times I've told him that my wallet had got stolen um, or I lost my money, which was all bullshit lies. When I look at it now, mum and dad would have known. You know, she's lying. But I guess they were waiting for me to hit rock bottom in a way. So I went for a job interview for my first job uh, for a PE teacher. And um, when I finished the job, I went home, got changed, went to pokies, did my thing, you know, as normal. Um, the next day I went to another venue and I kept getting a phone call. It was a, it was an unknown number. I'm thinking, oh, I'll call them later. And I kept ringing, kept ringing, kept ringing. So I finished my, my session and I rang him back. It was the job and, and the school offered me a full-time position as a PE teacher and I was wrapped. I was thought, this is awesome. It's time to celebrate. So what did I do? I went back and that was my celebration of knowing that I had a full-time job and knowing that I had more money, knowing that I could do much more with my money. Um, so, and again, in that time, I didn't realise I was an addict. It was just, that's part of it's who I am and it's just what I do with, that, with no one knowing. So I was able to really do that really well. I was very sneaky, really good at it. Um, so, yeah, I started work. But then again, the same habits came. I would call in sick. I'd call in, you know, my car's broken down. Um, and I'd, I'd play the pokies. Or, you know, the time when I was with my partner at the time, you know, I'd use an excuse, oh, I'm heading to the gym. But, again, I wasn't going to the gym. So the per- person that people thought I was, which was doing all these amazing things, but the person I knew at the time would, was doing all these dark things. And, and um, yeah, so heading into August, I, um, I had a lot of cash on me. Mum actually lent me cash for uh, an interstate trip that we had. 
and um, it was a substantial amount of money. And I thought, all right, I'll just put in a couple notes and everything will be all good. 45 minutes, I lost all that money. And I'm talking about big money. And I thought, this is it. What am I going to do? What am I going to say? I'm fucked. And I was sitting in my car in tears and I thought, yeah, I'll do it. So I drove home and I called my partner and I said, someone just took my wallet. Someone came up to me and stole my wallet off me. And they were like, oh, are you okay? I was like, I'm shaking up, but I'm okay. We're going to be fine. And they're like, no, no, we're going to call the police. I was like, no, 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 it's fine. We don't need to. I'm fine. Let's just move on. Um, And they were very very firm on this. They said, no, we're calling the police. I thought, okay, no worries. The police came over to the house and I told them the statement of I was visualising this person that I've never met before taking my money, that they had a mini knife attacking me. That's how crazy I was. That's how my mind was working. So the police said to me, all right, let's go to the station. We'll put a statement in. I was like, yeah, no worries. This is easy. So I, I said my piece. The policeman kept saying to me, are you sure this is right? I go, yeah, absolutely, 100% spot on. He goes, are you sure? And he kept asking, are you sure, are you sure? And at the time I was like, mate, come on, it's fine. That's what it is. And now when I look back at it, he knew that I was the biggest bullshit artist. So I thought, oh, God, that's over. I, I've, I've, I've done it. I did it again. I got away with it. Fantastic. So I had to ring my, my work that night, said I'm not coming in the next day because this has happened. So I used the story as someone mugged me, had a knife, and they were just so, oh, my God, take all the time that you need. So I was like, yes, yeah, sweet, no worries. So I took the Friday off. And what did I do the next morning? I went back and I played the pokies like nothing had to happen because I thought this is all over. 1.30 afternoon that, on that Friday, I got a phone call from the police saying, can you please come down? I've got a couple more questions. I was like, yep, fantastic. I'll be there soon. Um, as I walked in, they grabbed my arms. They said, you're under arrest. They put the handcuffs on me for making a false statement to the police. And it broke down like you wouldn't believe it. And they dragged, they were recording me. And they asked the questions and you, everything. Fingerprinted me. I had to hold the, the numbers that you see um, people hold. It was, uh, yeah, it was a crazy moment that I'll never forget. So then came the truth that I had to be open um, with my parents, my partner. My partner left me at the time, which I don't blame. My parents, in a way, were um, grateful that nothing, that the story was a lie, but they knew the serious of this issue that was just about to hit, hit them as well. So I then um, had a court date the following Wednesday. So my work still didn't know. They just thought the same old story. And I went to court and my lawyer then said, this will be fine. We'll get this over done this today. You'll get slapped on the wrist and you'll move on. But the judge was really hard. She was yelling at me, almost saying, making a false statement lying to the police is a huge crime. She convicted me. And I fell apart. I thought, this is my life's over. I'll lose my registration. I'll lose my job. I'll lose everything. I'll have to start again. So we then appealed it. But, my law- but the lawyer said, you have to now go to your school, tell your boss, because we need a character reference from your boss. And I thought, shit, this is it. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll definitely lose my job for sure. I walked in that afternoon, and I remember them sitting front of me, my, my, my assistant principal, and I told him everything. And for some reason, for some reason, they saw belief in me and takes, we'll support you, we'll back you up. I mean, who says that to a graduate who started at a brand new school and has given them another chance in life and in their career? You, they could easily say, you know what, we can't take that risk. But they didn't. And to this day, until the day I die, I'll be forever grateful for them too. Forever. There's not enough words for them to. So they came to court with me second time round. But unfortunately, the judge was very, very harsh. No good conviction. And I thought, okay, so we have to have other strategies. 
and the lawyer was very firm. I had to get a lot, a lot of character witnesses, um, what I'd done in the past, community work and so on, um, my passion, my, my dream in the future, why, what I want to do. And this was late December. I was in contact with the registration, the Victorian teaching registration that they were aware. And, um, yeah, third time lucky, I was a non-conviction um, with the fine and a slap on the wrist. Uh, yeah, so, right, so that's, I, um, okay, that's how so, I hit rock bottom. So there's there's quite, like, I mean, you just told us so much, and, and it really gives a, a deep glimpse into not only how you hit rock bottom, but also you coming clean with your family and, and the courage to go to your principal uh, and assistant principal to tell them your story. Now, one of the things is that, um, as we said, at the, you know, you alluded to uh, several minutes ago is that everybody has an addiction and um, chances are that that, that principal understood addiction or had a loved one that suffered or they had suffered earlier earlier in life but they they obviously had deep empathy for you so i guess in them going to court with you they saw something in you that was beyond addiction and if you again returning back to the strength and the positivity within yourself what is it that people saw in you to um to really show their belief in you and, and to stand by your side. So what qualities have you always uh, possessed that um, people were willing to go to bat for you? Oh, I, look, the, the dark side of me is a pain in the ass and no one really knew that but, but me. But the good side, the, the light side of me, um, you know, people see me as a really outgoing person, um, a shy person, but I, I have so much passion for what I wanted to do and, and, and for life. And, and I love being around people and they see me as a, as a funny person. They see me as a, uh, enjoyable and, 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 and team player. Um, and, you know, in saying that, that like I did have a really good year that first year of teaching, I really did because I managed to set up a, an outstanding school, an outstanding physical education program. So I did something right. And so therefore they did see me because I had, again, going back to the determination, um, I see vision. I'm going to do it. There's no, no one's going to stop me. I will do it. I'll find a way of doing it. So, I guess they they saw that in me. They saw the belief. They saw the love I have for, as a family person. Um, and yeah, they, they but they took a risk. They really did. That could have really bitten them back on the ass. But they took a risk because they saw something and they saw qualities that they really really thought would benefit the students and the school communities. So um, it's a hats off to them and a huge, huge credit to those guys. Yeah, and, you know, that, that dedication and belief that you described within yourself is such a, a strong disposition to have, you know. And I think as you go through life, addiction is addiction, and people who go through addiction understand fully that for the rest of their life they're going to have this addiction and that it can always creep back, yep. you know. So it's, it's I guess, always oh. recognizing within yourself that strength and, and knowing that you, that you have that dedication to what you do and, and a belief within yourself. And that will always be your guiding principle from, you know, not just from this day forward, but yes. so as long as you've been clean, that is what's always going to drive you. Yep. And, and the more you establish your footprint in, in yes. our profession, the more you, you find your value and worth, um, the more you will be driven to always overcome um, the tendency to revert back. And that's something I believe with people and addictions. And, and, and again, going back to my own story, and you and I talked about that masking and not wanting people to know. And one of the I guess one of the most difficult things I ever did was the TED Talk because the first time I did it a year ago, I was like thinking to myself, well, I, I cannot tell this story. I, I cannot tell my past because it's just mm. there's so much self-judgment that comes with it. And it was always the self-judgment that I imposed on myself that was my biggest um, biggest obstacle that I had to overcome to succeed and to do the things that I've done in sport and in my career. Yep. And it's um, yeah. when, I, when I started when I started dating uh, Neela. Neela was a nurse in university, and and I was you know I 
we we were you know getting along very well and i was thinking wow this this girl's so so great and and i desperately did not want her to know anything about my messed up family so i really tried to to shield mm-hmm. that part of my life off and that's when my brother was was uh, going through serious heroin addiction he had lost a he had his own business he lost his business he had to move back into my mum's house and um, I, this is when I caught him, like flat out, I caught him. And I was going to report him to the police if he didn't stop. And then he asked me to help him come off of heroin. And I didn't know what to do. So I said, okay, I'll be here for you. So he actually gave me all of his heroin and needles. And and he said, every day, just give me a little bit less. And, and I was hiding his heroin on me. I was carrying it around to the university, to my classes, because I didn't want to leave it in the house so, so he could get his hands on it. And then I would go home in between classes, and I would give him a needle with heroin. And I felt like, what the hell am I doing? But I, fe- I thought I was doing the right thing because I was helping him scale off it. And every day I was giving him less and less yeah. and less, and then he found it. And, and he, um, almost OD'd on it. And I found him in the bathtub convulsing. Yeah. And it was, it was one of those, it was one of those moments where, you know, I felt completely, um, overwhelmed and, and like I was responsible because he found the stash and, and here he's convulsing in, in the bathtub and I didn't know what to do. So I called Neil on the phone and I said, she's a nurse. And I said, I don't know what to do. My brother's OD'd, you know, can you please come and help me? And, yep. and, you know, that's the way that she found out about my family's addictions and, and she stood by my side and she's been my, by my uh-huh. side ever since. But it's like, you know, to, to go through such serious addiction, even though it didn't impact me, I had, I was right on the razor's edge with addiction myself and it was always physical education or physical activity and sport that allowed me somehow to just just stay beyond the reach of it. So there is talk to the to the masking with addiction and and um, your experience with with covering up. So um, speak about um, that idea yep. of of masking and how addicts, regardless of what they're addicted mm. uh, addicted to. Um, can mask and, and cover up and do such a good job at it, but speak to, just speak to that idea. So, yeah, um, I guess like, look, you know, when you mask an addiction or, or something that's, um, I guess bothering you, you, you tend to sort of, in a way you sweep it under the carpet thing. Everything's going to be okay. Um, that I can deal with it. No one else needs to know it. Cause I, I'll, I'll handle it my way. Um, so, and that's why it took so long and that's why I'm – it sounds really weird, but I'm so grateful for being arrested because I'd be still out there and I, I, I didn't guarantee I'd be behind bars or, or I'll be down in a, a dark hole underground. Um, but I guess, you know, and I'm probably going a bit off, tra- off topic here, but I was worried sharing my story because I didn't want anyone to judge me. I didn't want anyone to know, but I know – this is who I am, and 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 I can't I can't change it. But what I, what I can do is help those other people who are going through it, or their their loved ones. Is you can make a stop, and you can help them before they hit rock bottom, like I did, and like others have, have gone through. And um, you know, if it's just that one person who gets something out of this story, then hey, I've managed to help someone. But you know, masking is very easy to do. It's part of addiction. And you know what? It's sometimes you've you got to hit rock bottom until you unmask yourself and say, hey, I'm an addict and I need help. Yeah. And I think it's it's that idea of you you coming clean because coming clean is, is part of recovery, you know. And when you can publicly come clean – um, it, it is, uh, it's a very important step, you know, because you are putting it out there to the world and, uh, you're making yourself extremely vulnerable. Um, but I, as I said at the beginning of this episode, uh, the greatest educators are the ones who have overcome adversity and hardship. 
Um, I've been lucky enough to, yeah. to present and work with hundreds of teachers around the world. And I see a yeah. lot of different kinds of teachers, you know, and I see the teachers that came from a solid family. Maybe both their parents were educators. They always had a good life. They, they have not had everything handed to them, but they have yet to experience true hardship and adversity. And despite them being good at what they do, I, I have a firm belief that it's the, the teachers who have been through hell and back and have learned from it, have not continued mm-hmm. to make the same mistakes over and over and over again, but they've actually learned from it. They've gone deep into to, uh, critical self-reflection. They've, they've embraced yep. the, the dark side of themselves, and in embracing the dark side of themselves, there are so many lessons to be learned. So you are the educator you are now because of everything you've gone through. You are the educator that you are now because you are willing to speak your truth, you know, and not enough people do that. So, you know, I want to commend you on doing that. But at the same time, if there's even one person out there that that is, is going to judge you for this, then they are not worth your time or your energy. So in moving forward in your life, when you share your story and you meet resistance or you meet people that distance you because of your story they are not worth your time and energy and you always have to hold that close to your heart yeah i mean look i have learned that because i was a bit um you know iffy coming on and and talking to you because it's it's a profession it's a um it's a well-respected uh profession that we are in and i'm very heavily involved with a lot of network and i've built a lot of networking with myself so so but I guess now I, I'm very open to telling people face to face if they ask. So I'm I'm not ashamed of it. It was just more that ah shit teachers. I'm a teacher. I shouldn't be doing this. But I know that there are many um, educators that you know do suffer from from issues from problems because that's what life's about. It's about how do you overcome it? How do you overcome and what do you do and who do you rely on? What strategies are you going to implement? So um, I'm, I, I feel like there's a huge weight off my shoulders at the moment and um yeah it's yeah i'd love to keep talking if we've got still time yeah 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 we we definitely do and i just want to take this uh opportunity um for you to share uh you know for neil and i and and you know neil now um but um yes. neil and i gratitude uh it plays a, a critical role in our life you know and really being grateful and again scanning your life for the positive and looking for the positive because as humans genetically we're coded to look for everything that's not going right. We're, we're coded to, to look for threats. We're coded to look for people who are a threat to us or who judge us, you know, but when, when you constantly scan for the positive in your life, you can build new neural connections that allows you to better embrace a life of positivity, which has a huge impact on the brain and your relationship with others. And that's something Neela and I have, have really dug deep into, especially in, over the last probably three or four years. So now's your time to really thank, uh, I know your, your Aussie mates, you know, many of I, I've met in person, but now's your time to give a huge shout out to the people who've made a big difference in your life. Yeah, well, they wouldn't know because they don't know my story, but I am going to give them a huge shout-out because I speak to them, you know, three, four times a week. And without them realising, they focus on how I can become a better educator and which has taken my mind and my teaching to a 360-degree um, turnaround. But, you know, the boys, Andy Hare, um, who who reached out to me a couple of years ago to, to join Twitter or to network with Bozzy Fizet, I thought, all right, yeah, let's, let's have give it a crack and see what happens. And here I am today, um, Sean DeMorton, uh, he's just an inspiration in terms of what he does off the field, in terms of his Ironman and the, the, the motto that he lives by and the way he trains so hard. It's just so inspiring. And, um, and you know, as a gardener, he, he's just a, a big, giant, friendly bear who you will always have a laugh with, um, regardless what conference you're at or if we're messaging on, the, on our group chat. There's always, you know, he's always puts out something, a bit, you know, a bit of a smart-ass comment. And that's fantastic. Um, you know, just recently, probably in the last six months, Wayne Schultz has really come into my um, professional life where he, he's really supported me in what I, what I love to do and challenging 
with different programs to implement and, and even with my current coaching. Um, but like teaching also has, has really um, risen for me um, because I found that passion, that, that drive that I want to do and my, my challenge is every day to become better and better and better. For those boys behind me, which they don't know and hopefully that they will listen to this, then I'm so grateful for you boys and um, every day you challenge me when I see stuff from your work or by just being there. And, um, you know, without them, I, I wouldn't be on network. I wouldn't be networking with other educators around the world. I'd be just, you know, in a, in a bit of a rut, but still doing okay, but not the way I am today. So, um, yeah, those boys are legends. So yeah. they're huge gratitude and to the, to just the, yeah, just teaching itself as well. A really nice moment for me was seeing you on the stage of Connected PE. And uh, I know Jared Robinson uh, called you out and gave you that award. As, um, and he's he's played a big role in all of our lives too in giving us opportunities um, to present mm-hmm. and through the, through the work that he does. And it was really nice seeing how far you traveled. Um, from where you are now all the way to Dubai to present at that conference and seeing you up on stage um, receiving that award must have been very special as well. Oh, it was. It was a bit of a shock, actually, when I saw my, um, my, the name on the side. I was like, oh, oh sweet. Uh, but, again, that's gratitude because of, of, of people believing in me. And I guess Jared, um, who I just recently met in Dubai who is a, a very busy person but he gives others opportunity to do what they love to do and to share their passion with the other educators around the world and um, I'm very, very grateful for him because I recently just presented on an online conference for Connected Peace so he gives me the opportunity to um, to share in what I do. Um, I believe he's a big, big believer of my work so I'm very grateful for him because again you know he, he doesn't have to give me the opportunity. He can find others, but he, he obviously sees something in me and therefore I'm determined to make sure that I deliver and that I deliver again and again and again. Yeah, and, and you will keep delivering. And uh, for Andy, as and Sean, I you know I had the, the privilege of meeting them in person as well in, in Melbourne um, you know, for the Atchbar Conference, and, and they are class acts and they're, they're great people, great humans. And you can just feel a difference when you meet people like those three and, and like Jared, who you just feel like, you know, like this is this is a really special person, you know. Um, so and we all need people like that, especially when we're, we're going through hard times. And and I think one of the, the biggest yeah. things that allowed me to continue to move forward in my life was not trying to please everybody and to stop trying to please everybody, but to focus on the people that matter most in my life. And it's amazing how the the list can go from such a bigger list to such a smaller list when you really think about your heart, the the mind-body connection, and you think about these special people. Um, you know, you, you, you have a, a very special list there yourself that, that has, has helped you. So I, I want to, uh, segue into, I, I had sent you a, a few weeks ago when you told me your story and Neil and I are, are a big believer in emotional priming, which, um, is rooted in the work of Tony Robbins, um, which is setting yourself up for the day requires that you really tap into your emotions, um, and that you have rituals in place that allow you to to be your best. So for Neil and I, it's always you know it's finding motivational videos, it's meditating, it's uh, giving gratitude, it's all of these things, and we're refining our own rituals. But I had sent you a clip uh, called "Unbroken," mm-hmm. um, and I did yes. so I did so for a reason because I felt that that you would find meaning in that, and you would find meaning in the words. So mm-hmm. I'm going to play that um, audio clip, and we're going to listen to it It's in, in, in its entirety. Yes. It's six minutes. It's worth it. I'm going to ask you, Christina, to, to really share what mm-hmm. resonates the most with you in regards to this clip, okay? No worries. Okay, so I'm going to play it now. Here we go. You can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever, because believing that the dots will connect down the road 
will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path and that will make all the difference. Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. You've got to find what you love, and that is as true for work as it is for your lovers. Your work is going to fill a large part of your life, and the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking and don't settle. Have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. But you're going to have some ups and you're going to have some downs. Most people give up on themselves easily. You know the human spirit is powerful. There's nothing as powerful. It's hard to kill the human spirit. Anybody can feel good when they have their health, their bills are paid, they have happy relationships. Anybody can be positive then. Anybody can have a larger vision then. Anybody can have faith under those kinds of circumstances. of growth mentally, emotionally, and spiritually comes when you get knocked down. It takes courage to act. Part of being hungry when you've been defeated, it takes courage to start over again. dreams. Fear kills hope. Fear put people in the hospital. Fear can age you, can hold you back from doing something that you know within yourself that you're capable of doing, but it will paralyze you. At the end of your feelings is nothing, but at the end of every principle is a promise. Behind your little feelings, it might not be absolutely nothing at the end of your little feelings. But behind every principle is a promise. And some of you in your life, the reason why you're not at your goal right now, because you just all about your feelings. You, you all on your feelings. You don't feel like waking up. So who does? Every day you say no to your dreams, you might be pushing your dreams back a whole six months, a whole year. That one single day, that one day you didn't get up could have pushed your stuff back I don't know how long. Don't allow your emotions to control you. We are emotional, but you want to begin to discipline your emotion. If you don't discipline and contain your emotions, they will use you. It's not going to be easy when you want to change. It's not easy. If it were in fact easy, everybody would do it. But if you're serious, you'll go all out. I'm in control here. I'm not going to let this get me down. I'm not going to let this destroy me. I'm coming back. And I'll be stronger and better because of it. You have got to make a declaration. This is what you stand for. You're standing up for your dreams. You're standing up for peace of mind. You're standing up for health. Take full responsibility for your life. Accept where you are and the responsibility that you're going to take yourself where you want to go. You can decide that I'm going to live each day as if it were my last. Live your life with passion. With some drive. Decide that you're going to push yourself. The last chapter to your life has not been written yet. And it doesn't matter about what happened yesterday. It doesn't matter about what happens to you. What matters is, what are you going to do about it? This year, I will make this goal become a reality. I won't talk about it anymore. I can. I can. I can.
persevere. I think it's important for everybody. Don't give up, don't give in. There's always an answer to everything. Tell me about what, what uh, resonates the most with you. Yeah, um, well, uh, so that's the fourth time I've listened to it. So when you sent it to me first time, it was, um, yeah, I listened to it three times and I was just taking notes and I was visualising um, this speech in my mind and how it looked like and how it relates to me. So, you know, first of all, you've got to find what you love and I, I believe I've done that. Um, and that was probably during gambling as well through my addiction days. So that was always there for me. Um but you know what? The dark times were, were, were on the rise. I didn't give up. You know, when I got arrested, I didn't give up. I didn't give up on my dreams or what I wanted to do. I wanted to prove a point to myself that I'm not, and I'm going to go get what I want. Um, you know, you can't let my I can't let my fears make my choices. Oh, there was a fear of me coming on this show, but um, that fear's gone. Because I'm, I'm, I'm making a difference here, talking to, to yourself, Annie, and talking to everyone who's listening. Um, I said no to my dreams for years when I was gambling because gambling took over. And when I finally hit that rock bottom, I was able to relieve, relieve my dreams again. Um, I'm coming back stronger and better, and I honestly believe that every day I get stronger and better. And that's why I live day by day. I can't think what's going to happen on the weekend that I'm not going to gamble on the weekends. I don't know. I might, but I, I'm every day I'll become stronger and better without gambling. And I live my life with passion. People see that every single day. I live my life with passion, and I, I'm always happy to share my, my passion with others. So there's a whole lot more that you could take away from that clip, and everyone would take something differently from that. But those little few points really um, connected with me and, 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 that, and that speech how they were talking and, and it was just like, yeah, this is awesome. This is, this is me. And then these are other people around the world that connect with that motivational speech. And I, I, my favorite one is that I didn't give up. I didn't give up on my dreams when think, when shit went down. And that's why I encourage whoever's listening, whether you have a bad day, bad week, bad month, relationship breakup, that you just don't give up. Because you just never know what's around that corner, and it's, you become bigger and stronger. Yeah, and w- one of the questions I love asking on my podcast is if you could travel in a time machine back to your, you know, eighteen-year-old self or twenty-two-year-old self, and you could spend one minute with yourself and offer yourself a piece of advice. Um, there is there is a number of my guests that say that they wouldn't change anything, you know, and when I think of you know, my own life and what I would say to myself is, you know, that idea that you're, you're going to experience great hardship. You know, people, uh, who you love will die. Um, you know, but you just have to believe that you're going to get through it. And, and not only are you going to get through it, you will be better as a result of having gone through it. And when you think about what you've done in your journey and, and your passion, what you said, your passion and your commitment to teaching, that was kind of the, the golden thread that, that held it all together for you because you didn't want to give that up. And if your addiction got to the point that you had, you, you know, that it completely overtook you, then that wouldn't have mattered either. And I think that's the defining difference between people such as yourself and me, uh, me in finding sport and physical activity and giving me a purpose. I mean, I could not lose that. If I lost that, then I would have ended up like my brothers. So it, it speaks volumes, the commitment that you have to the profession and I just want to draw attention to that. So if, if you project ahead now and you think about your life in 10 or 15 years, what is it that you are hoping uh-huh. to accomplish? What dreams do you have that will keep pushing you forward and allowing you to, to um, continue to overcome the, the addiction? 
Um, look, for me, it's really simple. It's to keep students to educations on those life choices and to make them, you know, choosing that physical activity side of things, but also the choices that they will face in life and educate them on what happens if I go down that road? What happens if I go down that road? What happens if I fail? How do I get back back up? My dream is to continue to do what I love to do every single day. And I, I, I know there's going to be students that will go down the track that I did. They'll, they'll suffer from addiction. They'll suffer from a mental illness. That's okay. I'm not going to judge you, and people aren't going to judge you. But it's the way, how do you overcome that? And that's what I want to put into my lessons put into my programs, overcoming dark days, overcoming failure. How do you, how do you get back up? What can you, what can, what strategies can you use in your life? What can you rely on? What activities? Find your hobby, find your passion because you become better and stronger. So that's, you know, I don't have a dream of, you know, becoming prime minister or becoming a, or anything like that. My dream is really simple, but I think it's really powerful to ensure that our kids have the best opportunity in life to live the fullest. Yeah, and that's, as an educator, you know, front center in your heart. I mean, it's obvious that's what you're doing now in your work. And um, there's a few things that kind of resonate with me with um, our conversation today. And before we close, I just want to um, share a very alarming statistic. This is just outrageously alarming. And it is so important that you and I both continue to do the work that we do, that we connect with people like Andy Hare and Azza mm-hmm. and Sean and Jared and, and uh, Joey Fight and all these yep. amazing educators from around the world. And, the, and Shane Pill, Shane Pill has, uh, you know, recently has, has I've really connected with. And, um, but it's this idea that the World Health Organization has recently um, – published statistics and and i hope that it's that it's i'm getting this right but um by 2030 suicide is going to be the leading cause of death due to depression and addiction Mm -hmm. so we're looking at at 12 years away and the the path that we're on right now in life educators have the most important job that there is because our profession touches the mind and spirit of every single person. And especially with us, physical educators and, and health educators, we hold the key to the future. You know, so it is our responsibility mm-hmm. to do whatever we can yeah. to ensure that um, we empower young people to make right choices and to be physically active. Forget physical literacy, forget fitness testing, forget all of this other shit. Those things all have a role, but it's not the the end um, the the end reward that of, of fitness that's most important in our jobs. It is instilling with within.
for listening to the Run Your Life podcast by Andy Bassman. To check out show notes, get some more information about Andy as well as his guests, head to our website, 21clradio.com.